Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of East Meets West, your monthly, sometimes twice monthly, one-stop shop for everything going on in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling and what a month it has been. You know, we have the best of the Super Juniors back and it's regular spring time slot. We had Dominion, basically the SummerSlam equivalent in New Japan Pro Wrestling and we've got a bunch of announcements and stuff that we won't even be able to cover on this episode. We're going to have to come back at you in a couple of weeks' time, but more on that later on. And join me to talk about all the madness that goes on on TV and sometimes behind the scenes uh, recently in New Japan Pro Wrestling. He is a Gado to my Jay White, the massive feet or Jado to my Tamatonga. He is, I would not insult him and say he's a Dick Togo to my evil because I know how he feels about that. He is Grant McRobbie. It's a pleasure to be back and an absolutely stacked. A, st- a stacked month ahead, stacked month behind us, and you know, just exciting times, forbidden doors, forbidden windows, all that sort of stuff. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, we're recording this before, but I think yes, I will also be on Central, and I think we'll have we'll have brought up some of the topics briefly that we're going to talk about here because forbidden door is a big thing because we cover a lot of EW on on Central, and obviously that's crossing over to New Japan for forbidden door, and we'll be talking about it as well in a couple of weeks' time, but we'll more so be focusing on how the fallout of that will impact New Japan Pro Wrestling. But the main thing that we have to talk about is the best of the Super Junior Tournament back, and it's, you know, spring format, as I said, like it's time slot, and back to the two blocks, the borders being opened. And I remember you and I having conversations right at the start of it, once we've both seen like the first day or so of the tournament, that you always tell, you tell almost immediately that, you know, things were back to some normality with the best Super Juniors, because I didn't mind just to an extent the one-block format, because it was slightly more interesting with the tiebreakers, but the fact that we got to see more international talent you know, into the mix, and not your standard like regulars in the junior division, you could always feel a difference, like felt fresher. Yeah, absolutely exciting time. We had, we had new debuts, people that were 
really looking to prove themselves and it, it makes the old-timers step up their game as well. Um, you know, so we got some absolutely exciting... Some of the matches were so, just so fresh and I, I really want to see like rematches of some of them because it was just so good. Yeah, definitely. And given the fact that they had people coming in from Impact Wrestling, people from AEW, really with the Forbidden Door and everything, there was real chances to like explore for the possibilities with some of these matches. But, you know... There's a lot to break down when we talk about these tournaments. And I think the best way to start off is to look at the two people who ended up winning their respective blocks and ended up meeting in the finals. And, you know, I think Chris Charlton summed up best uh, on English commentary for the final where he talked about it says a lot when, you know, the borders were open and all this new talent was coming and trying to take, you know, the top spot in the junior division that were still coming back to, to Hiromu and. El Desperado, which just and how it just shows that these two really are two of the best junior heavyweight wrestlers in the world today. Yeah, it kind of feels almost like you're a, you're Joker and Batman of the junior division. These two are just always destined to meet up again and again and again in the big stakes matches, and they never disappoint either. So you don't even get mad at seeing it again and again and again. Yeah, definitely. Like the idea, of like we we're destined to do this dance for a, for a long time. Uh, these two, like no matter how many like new faces you threw in, they both found a way to get back to to the finals. Uh, we'll talk about both men's kind of journeys to get to the to get to the finals. We had Desperado come out as the winner of the B block on twelve points, and Hiromu came out with twelve points as the winner of the A block. Hiromu, uh, for most part, seemed kind of unstoppable for quite a bit of the tournament. Then. It was the you know the major question how would he get to the final at the at the midpoint because you had a match with Kanemaro that he lost where Kanemaro went after his knee and then showed and then Yo took advantage of that on the the next match and you know kind of got some redemption for when Hiromu kind of slagged him off at Wrestling Dontaku saying he didn't belong here anymore because he always shows up for big matches so you think this is their way of being like you know a lot of people. You know, tend to see Hiromu as a favourite, but you think this was their way of trying to make it less obvious that he was going to come out on top as of the A block? Yeah, I think they were wanting to try and disguise it a little bit um, by doing that kind of like the mixture of that block and even having the likes of Ishimori in the block as well. It's like let's try and make it a little bit less predictable that Hiromu is going to going to come out on top because it always kind of feels like. They, they really bigged up the history of the fact that like, he'd won two, the last two back-to-back and he'd won it three times overall. Mm-hmm. And it's, it kind of reminded me of the way they bigged it up with Ibushi with the G1 before. It's like, oh, oh he's going to get there. It's like, yeah, again? <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely think there's some comparisons to be made uh, with Ibushi and Hiromi with their respective tournaments. Although I do think come next year, they really need to pull it out and you know give us somebody new come out of the Super Juniors because you know, even though he didn't win, we were both to an extent when we talked about uh, Bushi winning the A block to go on the face of CAD at this the last G one, uh, we were kinda wishing they'd put someone different in that slot. Yeah, it's it's kinda like this this is where they played it a bit safe by the end of it. They had the option there to go a little bit more risky and give us something different, which I would have loved. Um I think we know who I wanted in B block to kind of make to the finals because I a certain match that I want ha- I want to happen and it hasn't yet. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because 
I know what you're talking about as well. El Desperado, who even said, like, right at the, the press conference, being like, I want to win that title. Oh, I won the tournament. I want to fight Ishimori for the title, win it, and then I want to carry that belt into the into the G1. Uh, more about having that in a little bit. But I liked for the or the El Desperado tournament that El Fantasma came out with his uh, kind of Xbox inspired gear, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, that that's how I wanted El Desperado to win Block B, but I'm not going to lie, at a certain point I was like, I think I'm leaning more towards El Fantasma now because he's really putting on some killer performances in this tournament. It looked really promising for, for Fantasma in the first few is a tournament. I think he went 3-0 you know, at one point to start off. Uh, you know, the sudden death was still a deadly finisher without the stuff in his boot. And you know, the first match he lost was to Doki, and not to the dreaded Doki Chowki. It was because Doki made you think that he fucked up a move, then lured him in for a roll-up. And I loved how annoyed uh, Phantasmo was about it, coming out for his match the next the next night of B-Block, going, looking down the camera going, fucking Doki, I lost to fucking Doki. <laughs> yeah, I mean, by the end of it, he came out with only three losses, uh, Doki, Desperado and Eagles. Eagles was an upset to me as well. I was like, wow, he is really playing spoiler for people. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it was as much uh, a shock for Eagles because it had the story in the last two juniors where Eagles finally got that win over Fantasmo because they had the tension from when Eagles used to be in Bullet Club and Fantasmo always hated them ever since then. Uh, but yeah, this, the what lost to Doki, he won three this year uh, to beat his personal. Doki got six points winning three matches in this year's tournament. If he'd won one more match, he'd have beaten his personal best, but... I'm telling you, not next year, not the following year, maybe not in the next five years, but at some point in the next 10 Super Juniors, Doki will be lifting that trophy. You heard it here. <laughs> the Doki Choki for BOSG 2028. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so yeah, Hiromu and his block, there was a lot of like great like new opponents for him. You had your Alex Zanes, your Ace Austin, their friend Francisco Akira as well. As well as like people like yeah, Yo, who he's already had issues with. I believe I don't even. I, I took a video. I meant to send it to you, but on English commentary, Yo comes out for his match for I believe it's the match with Hiromu, and he's got what looks like a, a puffy shirt on. And uh, Kevin Cook goes, "I think that's a puffy shirt." And Chris Allen quickly the flash goes, "It's gonna be all the rights, Kevin." And uh, Kevin immediately goes, "I don't want to be a pirate." <laughs> <laughs> I, I, honestly, I love the, love the chemistry of those two. Like their commentary team is just the best. <laughs> I know it's like I did not expect some Seinfeld references in the middle of my New Japan uh, wrestling, but there you go. That and given the fact that Becky did it like that around about that same week with that fluffy shirt she was wearing uh, on Raw, like that, that shirt's coming back in the fashion. The pirate looks going to be everywhere. That's it. everyone wants to be a pirate now. It's the, it's the cool thing. Come on, Kevin. <laughs> but what I think is cool about the way they did the, the scheduling for the Super Juniors, even though the first few days it was like hard to keep up with because like, you'd have a day day off and then two days off and then three days back to back. But it got to a point where in the middle of the tournament where they just stopped doing separate block days. They just did one day, 10 matches, both blocks scrammed in. And I know for some it may be harder to watch that many matches by each show, especially when you've got ones back-to-back. But for me, it was a lot easier because the thing that usually holds me back from like keeping up with tournaments 
is I can't be asked to watch the undercard tag matches. You know, the previews for matches <laughs> you're already going to see. Like, I don't care about the previews. Just give me the match. I know it's like don't don't spoil it. Like, I, I think they got into a bad habit with that between BOSJ and G1 used to be horrific for it. And I was like, right, you know, you could just get so much bang for your buck here if you just give us the matches and none of this preview. Don't don't give me the blue balls. Give me the match. Unless you're going to try and do some like injury angle during the tag match, like someone they really has their knee messed up by their next night opponent, and then that's going to be the story for the match. Then I don't care. And rarely there ever is that. There really is that kind of storyline advancement in those preview tag matches uh, from what I see. But you know, you and I both talked about how if it wasn't going to be Desperado, you know, as the former champion looking to reclaim the title, because I'm still I'm still shocked that he lost his his title right before the tournament. But there was also Desperado who could have won it. I think he's kind of long overdue for that kind of accolade. But looking at A Block, did you always think it was going to be Hiromu, or did you think there was some potential? Dark horses to take the A block. I honestly had a feeling um, at first that it might have been Akira because mm. of because of his reputation outside of New Japan, the kind of the matches that he's had and the accolades that he's that he's brought up and the kind of how big a deal they made when joining the United Empire. I was mm-hmm. like, I was like, if it's not Hiromu, I feel they're not going to throw it in any of other guys. It'll be it'll be Akira. Although I obviously in my heart, my heart of hearts. I always back the ass master Taguchi. <laughs> How much ass did we see in that tournament from the serious Taguchi? I mean, you, you try to say, oh, I'll be, be serious this tournament, there'll be no butt stuff in this tournament, but you know, that's about as believable as Andrew Garfield saying, I'm not going to be in no way home. <laughs> so, so many red trunks. I saw so much, so many, much of that red trunk uh, that he was wearing underneath his gear. And, uh, Poor buddy Ishimori, who I think got a big face full of that arse at one point in the tournament. <laughs> you know, I think I agree with you, Francisco Akira. You know, he seemed to be like a favourite. It looked promising when he had that match with Show in the first night of the A Block. And I messaged you when I was watching it, like, because you had uh, TJP in his corner, and rarely the United Empire ever get involved in other team members' like matches. They're just there for more support. But he was there making sure that. You wasn't using weapons, he was taking chairs away and helping out his partner and I was like it's a weird day, you know you're an unlikable bastard when you're making TJP look like the likable baby face I know, that, that completely like confused me a bit and I was, like, I was like, United Empire are still definitely like this whole kind of thing it's like they're still trying to find their their, their kind of way of doing things like Bullet Club are always there they're always dickheads like, Suzuki Gun generally has at least one person there Never Suzuki, but usually a mixture of the others, but they don't really get involved. LIJs, your kind of stay apart ones, and Chaos are kind of, we don't fucking know what's going on. No, we don't. Uh, if it wasn't going to be Akira, there was a small part of me that thought, at least for the able, I don't think they didn't know if they'd given the whole tournament, but they do have a good show of going to the finals, like two tournaments in a row, but maybe give it to you because, you know, especially given that he did beat. Hiromu at one point in the tournament, the idea of he's like beating Hiromu to get to the, the final, he's like trying to prove people like him wrong that he does still want to be here, he does still have what it takes to compete in the, the high profile matches. But unfortunately, it was not to be, and it was his partner's show in the final night that really fucked it for him. But Akira, again, like you said, I thought he had a good chance, but when he lost to Hiromu, and actually, it was far shorter than I thought it would be. 
uh, I kind of like, okay, I think his chances are pretty slim now. Yeah, that's uh, it. Kind of like as soon as I lost to Hiromu, I was like, yeah, that's it. It's like Hiromu is your momentum killer. He is like, nope, not getting by me. Okay, get Runji. Bye bye. But it was a hell of a, a final. You're saying semi main event was Desperado versus Fantasmo. A match. So I was like, I felt like shaming man walking the big show, thinking because I love both guys. But I'm like, which way do I go? Which way do I go? Like, they're just fighting for my affection here because I want them both to succeed. But Desperado eventually came out on top, and I loved you know Desperado kind of just pulls up a chair, sits at ringside, like wait. Let's see who my opponent's going to be on Friday night or whenever it was that the finals happened. And then they made the weird decision. uh, Maybe this is why they held off on the match for another week or so. But to get to the final, they had Hiromu beat the champion. Like, I know those two have history, Ishimori and Hiromu, they've been in the finals of a Super Juniors before. But having them beat the champion so close to potentially getting a title shot really doesn't do a lot for Ishimori, I don't think, because he was getting booked stronger during the tournament than he had been when he was last champion during the tournament. He got actually main event some shows over Hiromu, which was nice to see, but it felt weird for him to lose to Hiromu, right, to help Hiromu go to the final. Yeah, that that was a weird call to me, and I remember they were kind of talking about all different, like, that kind of last night with all the different potentials, like, the B block itself was being much more of a tight one compared to A block, but I was just like, what what is the angle here? Like what 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 have they got against Ishimori? Like why did they keep doing this to him? Whose whose tea did he shit in? <laughs> I I have no idea. I can't answer those questions. <laughs> uh, but I did love my favorite one of my favorite matches. Not for work, but just I just loved how it was done. Was the fact that Ishimori had the quickest loss in the whole tournament because he lost. Uh, he got sucked into how much he wanted to beat. Uh, Kanemaru, because apparently he's never properly beaten him, with the exception of a match where there was no crowds around to see it. And then Kanemaru just beat someone under five minutes. And each morning he had this face, I'm like, are you fucking serious? I love that. I like, I, I, it's actually even worse than that. Not even just less than five minutes. It was two minutes and seven seconds. Jesus. Two minutes like, and seven seconds. The same speed that it takes your brother to down two pints and then spew them back up. <laughs> I, I have seen it. <laughs> but then inevitably it came down to Desperado and Hiromu in the finals uh, no draws in the in this tournament, last time these two faced in a tournament match was in I believe they were in a block together no that was, this was back when they were still one block and they went to a 30 minute draw and they just went just over 30 minutes, it was 30 minutes 37 seconds this went so the two of them went uh, really, they really got a lot of time. Desperado had his you know, big time mask, you know, he's a uh, he's big match, black and gold mask. So I thought there's definitely a possibility for Desperado to go on, you know, the story of him trying to get back at, uh, for the rematch with Ishimori. But old faithful for New Japan in the junior division, Hiromu gets the win in a really hard fought match. There was points in the middle where I thought Desperado's getting a lot of offense. It really does feel like they're setting up for Hiromu's comeback. Yeah, but I'm not really going to criticise them because any time these two get together, you know, magic is created. But <clears throat> but what was your thoughts about it, Grant? Were you happy with the outcome or did you think this was a missed opportunity to give the tournament to someone like Desperado? 
I th- I think it's it's kind of a, a bit of a missed opportunity to give it to someone else because you know three in a row. There's only so many times you can kind of book the same person to go over, and then how many times do we go through this dance of Hiromu getting Mister Belt back, and my my biggest fear of him getting injured again. So I, I get it though because like Hiromu, no matter how much this happens, he is always over. We all love him, myself included. He's one of my favourites. I just think sometimes that this is where New Japan, they, they bring in some fantastic new talent, but they don't take the gamble. This is their, this has became their biggest booking issue for me over the last three years, is that it's always Okada, it's always Hiromu, mm-hmm. it's always John Cena. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it was definitely, it was definitely a, the tournament has been probably the best one in a few years, and Hiromu winning with Time Bomb 2.5 it was called this time, because it was a like a wrist clutch version of Time Bomb 2. Yeah, yeah. Notice he put like, his arm over there, and even the commentators like, were a bit surprised to see what he was doing. So, yeah, uh, it, it's always interesting because there, there were times like during the tournament where Romero went, skipped over Time Bomb 1, went straight for 2. This is when he knows he's in trouble, but it, like, it shows how much he, he's come to know how much of a threat that Desperado can be, that he has to innovate even over. Like, then you go beyond 2, you need to go to 2.5. Next time, I mean, you have to go to three. I bet Israel Wyden comes away with 2.75 next. <laughs> 2.9. Really, if he wanted to be really meta, every time he wrestles in the Tokyo Dome, he'd, he'd, go, he'd go with Time Bomb 6. <laughs> that would be beautiful. <laughs> yeah, uh, this was kind of a rubber match for these two because they had the match at Super Juniors 2020, the final, uh, where for only one, actually, it's kind of actually they still need a rubber match because they're on that tournament. Desperado beat him. Then they had the match at the next Super Juniors where they went to a draw, and Desperado won at the Tokyo Dome, and then Hiromu's won here. So inevitably, there will be another match if Hiromu comes out with the title. But you know, he does have an vernacular that no one can really take away from him. But when it comes to next, uh, the next Super Juniors, I really hope we have some new, some new contenders. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, still giving first one back, like with the like the full the full kind of capacity crowds again, the full kind of mixed talent. And that can explain. I can it kind of explains why the why they played it safe that first time. But take take that momentum and carry it forward and give us something new next time. That's my yeah. only complaint, really. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I I hope to see more of the you know the international talent mix. Then look at the other scores. Ed. Fantastic one, Ishimori both also finished on 12 points, but I think direct tiebreakers, they were, they didn't go through with like Desperado because they lost their Desperado and her own respectively. The other member, guys in the tournament, Ace Austin, finished the tournament with 10 points. Francisco Kira with 8 points, uh, as well as Titan, he also finished with 8 points. Robbie Eagles finished with 10. Uh, Show finishes with 10, Yo with 8. Uh, Wheeler Yuta in his inaugural tournament finishes with 10. TJP, who I was really impressed with, uh, finishes with 8 points. Clark Connor and Alexander both finish with 8, as do Bushi and El Lindemann. Uh, as does Kanamaru Taguchi, only 6 points, too much butt stuff this year. Uh, Doki finishes on 6, and Master Watto finishes with 8. So the lowest uh, score on either block is 6 points, which is, I think, is still pretty good. 
Yeah, I mean that's it. Not like three three wins is still pretty respectable, especially when you look at the category of like other people that they had to go against. And you know, when you look at our kind of our new our new additions, most of them had really strong first outings, as you say, Ace Austin and also Wheeler Utah, both champions and other promotions, both coming very close to making it to the finals. Yeah, said going into the final night that like Ace Austin possibly could have. One went when they blocked all beat Nikita, but then still uh, the main event would have had to go into some sort of draw or double counter for him to go over. But then he lost to Akira, so that kind of ruled him out, even though Akira was already mathematically eliminated as well. So Akira kind of plays spoiler for the, the X Division champion. But before we go back into some of our other highlights of the tournament, we should talk about Ace Austin and the shock at the Super Juniors final win in a match that pitted Hanare, Bokan, and Cobb against uh, Chase Owens, Valley and El Fantasmo. Ace Austin got up in the apron and revealed with, with a new custom card that he had, in fact, joined Bullet Club, which, when I first saw that, shocked me. But then when you look, really think about Ace Austin, you think, yeah, that actually makes sense. Yeah, it totally does. Like, when you when you kind of look back over it, it's like, yep, this does make complete sense. And they've, they've smashed it. <laughs> yeah, because there were parts in the early... In the early part of the tournament, uh, Ace Austin won the BB time match. He was actually wrestling kind of like a baby face at points, like not a full on, like, like a no baby, but still like kind of a cocky face. And, you know, he was becoming, you know, he wasn't cheating as much. He was still doing the whole paper card thing. And the commentators were kind of saying, like, maybe this trip to Japan has given him more perspective. Maybe he won't be, you know, as underhanded in future. And then when he revealed he's in Bullet Club, Chris Charlton and Kevin Kelly are enraged, like, oh, for God's sake, we were willing to give you the benefit of the doubt. Then you go do something like that. And, you know, he, he portrayed poor Alex Zane, and they were being called by Kevin Kelly the besties of the Super Juniors, or whatever they were called. Uh, and there was a, a, a thing during the backstage comments where Alex Zane kind of confronts Ace Austin, only to be jumped by him and the Bullet Club. And as a result of that, Alex Zane's apparently been named to be the final guy in the, uh, in the Ultimate X match of this Sunday's anniversary so I guess you the continuation of that feud kind of carry over over to Impact Wrestling It was so heartbreaking them doing that to Alex Zane because I was really loving following them on Twitter and their like kind of backstage bromance as they went from venue to venue Yeah because like early on in the night they they teamed together and they were even hey, well could this be a team to go after the super, super uh, could this be a team to go after the junior tag titles and then two matches later, he's like, nope, I'm a heel now. I'm, I'm with Bullet Club. Mm. And then, but that Ultimate X match is looking pretty good because Ace has got like, Alex Zane, Jack Evans, Mike Bailey, Kenny King. You know, it's nice to see that Forbindor helping create big matches in Impact Wrestling as well. That's it. They've, they've really like this. We, we talk about the Forbidden Door with AEW and New Japan, but when you look at the actual overall picture from this BOSJ and they had talent from strong... Oh. CMLL, Impact, Gleet, and AEW. Mm. Like, it's not just a forbidden door, it's a forbidden bloody hoose. <laughs> I know. Uh, Ace did lose to Hiromu during the tournament, uh, so if Hiromu feels like going after the X Division title, then I wouldn't be against that. And we're talking about titles and the junior titles, it does feel like the United Empire of Akira and DGB are really being enjoyed as the next big like heel tag team in that division because. Uh, the first night of B-Block, TJP beats Faster Wattle. Uh, Toguchi did beat uh, Kira during their A-Block match, but then they did get a win at the Super J 
at the Super Junior Finals and then we're on opposite ends of a six-man tag at Dominion. So the match is happening on June 20th. Do you see uh, some new champions? Is this the end for the Ass Masters as we know it? I think the I think the Ass Masters are going to are going to continue just a little bit longer, but I, I I foresee the eventual thing being that that we bastard Wato is going to turn on on Taguchi and I'll get very angry. Oh, I didn't, my bones. I didn't realize that thing you saw it going, but yeah, the fact that they actually already beat them in a non-title like two on two match at the the Super Junior Final. You know, as a, somebody who's watched WWE for so long, the idea of like, oh, we beat the champions, so we've got a title shot. Part of me like, you're not winning, but a lot of part of me wants them to, to win, because I think it'd be interesting to see Akira get a proper like, push in the junior division, because, you know, he got eight points, which is still good for his first tournament, but I really thought he was going to do a lot more in the tournament than he did. Yeah, I, th- I think... To an extent, I was expecting a lot more, but then at the same time, I'm thinking maybe New Japan are trying to avoid overdoing it, as they've had happen in the past. Like I still remember when we had Shingo and the BOSJ and pretty much go absolutely through everyone, and they lost three beat him. And when he lost that BOSJ final, it kind of hit his momentum for a bit. And they actually left him in a difficult position where it's like, wait, he's went through absolutely everyone. No one can beat him. Oh wait, he can be beaten. Where do we go from here? Yeah, I guess you don't want to use on that position again. Uh, like I said, June 20th is when that match is happening. It's going to be the main event of a Corgan Hall show. And then weirdly, the next night, June 21st, that's where uh, Hiromu's going to get a title shot against uh, Ishimori. The match is used traditionally at the big summer show Dominion. Uh, do you think it's a case that they want to give the junior heavyweight title like its own like main event slot? Or what, what are your thoughts about the the junior weight tail match being moved from Dominion to a different show. I I th- I um I was kind of in two minds. I was like, it would be great in Dominion, but at the same time, Hiromu does make such a, a huge deal about making the juniors a main event spot, and there's no way you can compete with the match that they had lined up at Dominion for the main event. So, I think this is a good way to do it. It gives people a reason to tune in during the like the New Japan Road shows because sometimes. This kind of spot between the G1 and after Dominion can feel a little bit. Do we really need these these cards in? But these couple of title matches give us a reason to be invested and enjoy what they're going to do, and also gives the, the juniors a, a little bit of time to kind of recover from the ordeal that they've just been through, rather than just being like, right, we've had BOSJ six days later, right, lads, go and do it. It's like what? Pardon? Yeah, I mean, people like. Uh like Hiromu or that such mad bastard he'd be like right I'm back I'm up for it again I know I've just like you like killed myself you know I really killed myself like three days ago but I'm ready to do it all over again I'll do as many Canadian destroyers as you need me to exactly that's it Hiromu is just that wee bit maybe they had to turn and like right you settle down son take a wee rest you can do a lot like a wee yappy dog it's like settle simmer down Aroma, sit. <laughs> but looking at it, I, I first saw it and I was like, mm, I, I don't really agree with that. But then, as we're going to talk about, Dominion was fairly stacked with, with big title implications. So, yeah, getting the main event, you know, in Cork and Hall is still a big deal. Uh, even though I would like to see maybe in the semi main spot, 
of Dominion, but the fact that they never take it within the semi-main spot at Dominion said that really helped elevate that build. So, and, and they're going to use them actually uh, for uh, so. Um, do you see it as a foregone that maybe that do you see it as a foregone that Hiromu's going to win because it really does feel like at times with whenever Ishimori gets that belt that they still don't see him as a champion like you said he's clearly pissed in someone's team we don't know about it after some recent events I actually think Ishimori could could retain just because Dominion a few things in Dominion made me go okay maybe I'm wrong in some things <laughs> I mean, Bullet Club do have a lot of goals at the minute. They they're going to want to keep on hold on to it. So let's see what happens with regards to that. But this is where we now pick and choose because you can't talk about every single night and every single match because we'd be here for fucking hours if we did that. But uh, what were some of your standout matches? Who had the most matches that really stood out to you? And who were some of your kind of favourites for the, the tournament for whatever reason? Uh, I'd say like my favourite match um, maybe didn't set the world on fire for everyone but I was a huge fan of it was um, El Desperado and Wheeler Yuta I loved that being a nice little technical match it kind of showcased both men off fantastically and I, I felt it gave people a greater understanding for those that weren't too familiar with Wheeler Yuta outside of his Blackpool Combat Club experience so far it really mm-hmm. put on a great showcase from even though Desperado still won it it was fantastic, and my other standout matches from the same block, and that was Eagles and Phantasmo. Even though Phantasmo lost, that was a beautiful match, beginning to end. Yeah, I think Wheeler Year did have a couple of really standout matches in this tournament, and like getting to see more develop more of that style, that custom to the throughout the Ring of Honor Pure Championship, and you know, getting to mix up with Desperado, who is a good technical wrestler in his own right. You know, a lot of these matches were like 10, 15 minutes at times, but you know that you're going to still get some good technical, you know, good seconds out of it at the same time. And, and you know, some of my favorite matches also were with Wheeler uh, Yuta. I think you were, you said to me that you felt like the workhorse block was going to be B block. And I think you're right. I think there was more star power, more high flying and A block, but this was the more technical workhorse block. And Wheeler Yuta has matches with likes of Robbie Eagles, TJP. Even T10, who I didn't know that much about, but I enjoyed watching, uh, really stood out to me. And the fact that Robbie Eagles actually got the win over Wheeler Utah makes you think that, you know, I'd like to see Robbie Eagles maybe as soon as Forbidden Door, Robbie Eagles pop over, challenge Wheeler Utah for that pure title. Aye, there's definitely, like, there's, there's been so many like potential like future matches set up that you could e- easily do, like the idea of like Utah defending that pure title against some of the people that he lost to Desperado, Phantasmo. Uh, I still I still like to call B block the L block, just mainly because like, it had three L's in it. El Desperado, <laughs> El Lindemann, El Fantasmo, and it got a little bit confusing at times. Mm-hmm. And especially when they got paired up. Uh, what was interesting, I thought, with B block is that I allowed them to have that match that they've been talking about for quite a while, the El Lindemann versus El Desperado match. Again, two L's put together. Uh, but what was even more surprising for me was that was one of Desperado's few losses came in that tournament uh, match. So... Maybe he'll come back after. Uh, maybe I'll continue that for you. That's about maybe why he's not in the junior retail mix. Would you like to see that kind of crossover? Because if uh, Desperado winning that massive title that El Lindemann's carrying around would be interesting to see. Oh yeah, give me it. Give me it every day, all day, every time. Because it's just really that's it. There was actually so many fresh matches. Even looking at some of the guys in A block and B block that never got a chance to meet up, and I'm like. 
could you just imagine taking these same people and mixing up the blocks next year? You could you could come away with some absolute bangers. Yeah. Uh, like if it was all like one one big block, like seeing some of these guys interact, like your your Alex Zane and T versus Titans and people like that, uh, like Akira versus say like TJP. Oh yeah, because also they're in the same group, so that'd be interesting to see. But you know, it's all about people being mental. You know, wanting to just keep wrestling. El Lindemann is a mental bastard because there was a there was a three days in a row he had Super Junior match where it's B block, A block, B block again. And El Lindemann and the A block day in between his matches and B block didn't take the day off. Now he had to go to a different part of Japan and defend the GX title and at a Gleet show against Shigehiro Iri, who some people might recognise he, he does some stuff in the UK. I remember he kept a ICW fight Lionheart at the start of 2019. He's a big boy. So he fought him, successfully defended the belt, and then came back to continue his Super Juniors. I know. Absolutely. Just further proving my point, the workhorse block, it's like him, it's like, oh yeah, I've got BOSJ, but by the way, I can still go make a title defence in the middle of it. It's like, I beg your fucking pardon, pal. <laughs> yeah. I I really enjoyed uh, him in this tournament. Uh, looking at A block, again, really, I can't, it's just from pure entertainment of how quickly it happened, and neat it played out in the story. The fact that the junior heavyweight champion got pinned in, in, in just around two minutes by Kanemaru it just made me laugh. Oh, like Kanemaru was in full bastard mode this tournament. I loved it. I love, like, love whenever he faces off against Show in these tournaments. Like, you just can't be arsed with this shite anymore. It's like, you, especially given that by that point he was like 0 3. Like, right, you, come here, where's that wrench of yours? Like, he tried to <laughs> grab him, throw him backstage, and try to get the count out one. Uh, it's it's absolutely beautiful. Even you look at like Kanemaru's like block um, wins, and like he's got he's got three wins which all came in under three minutes each. And I'm just like, mm-hmm. oh, he's he is after Yano's title. Like, <laughs> he's, he's not getting paid by the hour. Not a bit matching. Like usually Hiromu like the guy who has the the long matches, the main match thing. I think actually the two people with the longest match uh, length were both in B block. It was, the number one was uh, Desperado. And then shortly followed by by Robbie Eagles, but apparently in terms of combined time out across Super Junior's appearances, apparently at some point during this tournament, Takuchi surpassed Liger's record. What? Yeah, I missed that. Yeah, at some point he said, "Oh, he's only X amount of minutes away from uh, surpassing Jushin Thunder Liger." Because <laughs> like Takuchi, we forget he's been never- a person. He's been around since like the like mid two thousands at least, and all these stuff with Apollo fifty five with with Devitt and everything. And you know since White Liger's been retired for a few years, but he stuck around. So somebody was bound to break it. Uh, that's, it's just if it, like it's it's never something you ever think about. It. It's like Liger, who could surpass Liger? And you think Roma, El Desperado, Taguchi. <laughs> what? Just racking up. He's just racking up accolades in 2022, that and the final, and finally becoming 69th IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion, you know. Uh, and we're, it's funny, like you said, because he's not really known for his long, like, 20, 25 minute matches, but, you know, you know, butt stuff gets it done. That's it. All about the butt stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, Hiromu was putting out some blinders, you know, with his matches with, like, Alex Zane, Ace Austin, He's also changing his first boot flop uh, 
about dive to the outside calling it sword to glory uh kind of after the tagline for this tournament uh I kind of like some of these shows matches were okay to watch. I like these matches just how much of a bath that it was the Clark Connors and their match, and then and his final his A block final match to it with Yo. He walked away looking like he was getting counted out, and then he got to sixteen. Yo just crossed his legs and sat down in the ring, and then Show just positive and realizes like he was clearly trying to lure him out to jump Show on the rack because he thought he'd come and get him, and he kind of pops his head out and almost gives that look of disappointment. Like you seriously not going to come and fucking chase me? <laughs> it's like you absolute bastard I'm waiting here to be chased chase me you shit <laughs> and then he has to race back and then he's yelling at he's yelling at you like he's the one in the fucking wrong and then it's like this isn't how this works this is not how booking <laughs> works in wrestling you asshole this is not what we discussed backstage <laughs> uh, but Connor is just somebody like there were very few people who like took that kind of fall guys book because there were some guys who lowest scoring guys got like six points. Some people do have to take the losses to like the bigger like contenders, but there wasn't any obvious people who were going to just get beat. Like even Doki like put in a hell of a fight against the people and got wins that you wouldn't expect. You know, like a couple of years ago when they put Yuamura in to replace someone who got injured, he just never won anything. You knew he was never going to win any of these matches. But Clark Card, you know, he's recently graduated from being considered a young line. He's you know got his own you know identity. Neem finished on eight points and got some like significant wins. I think Fraser he even beat Taguchi at one point. Yeah, that's Con- Connor's wins came against Zane, Akira, Taguchi, and Kanemaru. That's quite hmm. that's quite the 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 array of wins to get. Uh-huh. Yeah. So he's clearly you know. They see, like, they clearly see big things in him. Also, he's showing he shouldn't be like underestimated. It's funny how much Alex Zane just suddenly got taken over, like by the Japanese. How much they loved him. Clearly, they love his weird Taco Bell kind of looking like a pirate gimmick. The Taco Bell gimmick, I am completely on board for. Like the fact that Taco Bell in Japan follows like three accounts, and he is one of the three. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. Going back to the B block, where I think that had more matches that I enjoyed than the A block, like the ones that stand out as we're talking. Uh, the one that really I had quite a bit of anticip- anticipation for on one of the final nights was the Doki Desperado match. Not just because they're in the same faction, but because I was not expecting them to nearly come to blows at the Super Junior press conference, where basically Doki got up and said, "No, I've had this match recently at an indie show with uh, Jun Kasai, I think it was, and he." I lost to him before when I lost again, but this time I really think I showed improvement. I'm, I'm a different man than I was back then, and so I'm, I'm really improving. I'm going to give it my all. And then Desperado basically gets up and goes, Yeah, but you lost again. You haven't improved at all. And then they both just got <laughs> and they were looking at like they were getting ready to scrap. I, know, I love that. And the thing is, like, that Jin Kasai, funny enough, is the reason that Doki got brought back into the best of Super Juniors all those years ago because it was Kasai that broke Hill Desperado's jaw that year. And he's part of the reason where that uh, that Desperado even uses that big punch uh, to set up, you know, his finishing in the first place because uh, it was a punch, a really hard punch that really fucked up his jaw when in that tournament. So yeah, when that came full circle, obviously Doki did lose, but you know, you part of me wanted him to just say, just so he could say, I fucking showed you that. Who's that for an improvement? You part of me wanted Doki to get that Cinderella win. 
That would have been beautiful. Just like, I get that, Renji, you bob bag. <laughs> Yeah, the uh, I don't know about you, but were you kind of optimistic then ahead of the announcement, the inevitable announcement for the G1, which is also back in its usual summer time slot. With the fact how well the international talent were you, did that give you hope for who they'd get in for this tournament? It it definitely did. It gave me much much hope. <laughs> and so again, I think we're both uh, very much fans of the guys that they brought in, and hopefully see more of them in Japan, and hopefully back for next year's. Super Juniors, uh, regardless if they won the tag titles, they retain the tag titles at uh, New Japan Road. We got to have a battle to get you on Bin Door. Now is a perfect match for them. Bring get them to team with Tenzan again. He could be an honorary ass master for the evening, and they can team up in a trios match against the obvious opponents: Billy Gunn and his sons, the Ass Boys, the Ass Masters versus the Ass Boys. Get that, and that'll sell yeah. out the whole. You know, that'll sell out. That people will be clamouring for Bloody Forbidden Door 2 after the announcement of that match. That's it. That is that is the match that, pe- that people need. And I can just imagine Dan Housen sitting at the side watching the Ass Boys get beat. Mm-hmm. Oh, this, this master of ass, would you like me to curse him? Give you an advantage. Because <laughs> <laughs> sort of you saw when uh, Matt Cardona put out the photo of him uh, having to hand over the NW title and being upset about it. Yeah, Dan has a good would you like me to curse Billy Pumpkin? <laughs> I love that. Joining the curse. That that and even it was um it was it was Dan Housen also responded to I think it was one of um uh, Dax Dax and kind of like FTR's tweets and he was like, Would you like me to steal the belt? And it's like, no, no, I might be a role model, he can't steal the belt. <laughs> uh, uh, Dan Housen uh, for best of super juniors next year. Oh please. Yes. Imagine versus- yes, to and Danhausen. I will curse your ass. <laughs> oh, and he'd sell it as well. He'd sell that. But, but then we had to go into Dominion, where there was a lot of big matches announced for that show and a lot of good stuff to talk about. First two matches, we don't really need to talk about that match. We had a multi man tag match where we had the ass matches in, uh, in Tanzan taking on the United Empire. And a losing effort. Then you had to preview the junior heavyweight match. You had Ishimori, Ace Austin, and Fantasma getting a win over Naito, Bushi, and Hiromu. And then the first like, proper match, you know, quite early on in the card, you had a special singles match of uh, Doc Gallows taking on Yano because why the fuck not? Where apparently Doc Gallows had only wrestled 21 singles matches before this. And according to Kevin Kelly and Chris Charlton, he was 7 and 14, so he'd only won 7 out of. 21, and yet apparently going into it in his last 21 singles matches, Yano was the opposite. He was 14 and 7. Yeah, that was that was like a match that I just I was like, why is this on the card exactly? Where does this came from? What is the uh, the vendetta here between Gallows and Yano? I think the only thing they could really say was the fact that Yano was spraying that disinfectant stuff in a multi-man tag match. They were on the opposite end of at the Super Junior Final. And he, he sprayed a bit too much on Doc Gallows, and Doc Gallows is angry. And now there's a match, which only went four minutes and five seconds, because Yano was annoyed that some people were having short matches to reduce up. I must reclaim my crown. Yes, it's like, I must get this back. <laughs> it must be mine. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Gallows got the, the 
Bill Gallows took the L here. He's a he's usually a tag wrestler, so that's probably fair enough. Uh, then the, the, that was followed by a match. The first of like six matches, either a title on the line or a title implications. And it was I hate, I, I wanted to forget the result of it so much that I didn't even put it in our initial notes. Where we had it was born out of kind of our pinning show and kind of eliminating him mathematically from the Super Juniors, much to Kevin Kelly's you know rejoicing. And then he and DSJ beat the House Torture at the Super Juniors final. So that's up a title match for the six man tag tails. And they got Esper- they got El Desperado in to be their, their third man. Uh, and after nine minutes and after a good effort, you know, you know, matching them for their shit house today, despite the House of Torture trying to jump them at the start of it, House of Torture did eventually get the win because she also seemingly was hiding a wrench in his boot. What is it with Bullet Club and hiding things in their boots these days? Phantasma with metal and show with that bloody thing. What the hell is this all about? I have no idea. I have no idea. But yeah, I, I genuinely thought, I mean, I like to believe this when they, when they go up to House of Torture, but I genuinely believe you're given how strong Desperado is booked in the new division. No, well, CHA is coming off the, they're off the New Japan Cup win for the second year. Uh, and Karamaru got a decent run in the Super Junior, so I generally thought this was a team to take these, those six man belts. Yeah, that's it. Like, I was, I was kind of hoping that they would, because my biggest fear is that House of Torture end up retaining it as many times as Chaos, and I don't think I can deal with that. Well, this was their fourth defense, so they had four successful defenses. I believe it was around about nine. They had like 10 defenses for the Chaos Trio. It was in their 10th defense that they lost it. So we're almost about halfway there. But, you know, we've got at least four or five more defences potential uh, before we have to worry about that. So let's just hope the next few defences, somebody can beat these bastards. They made the mistake by not bringing in Suzuki. Yeah. Where is Suzuki? Where is he gone? He, on his jollies. He's on his jollies, eh? CSG, <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, I was more interested in him. He's back to his comments where he was annoyed too. He said he was apparently whistling Final countdown and his last passage comes in. And you bastards, you, you edited it out. So you know I'm not going to be a list, list director. And he was calling out the American Dragon, like, if you've finished playing golf with the Blackpool Country Club, do we come see who the best technical wrestler in the world is? Spoiler alert, darling, it's bloody me. I don't, they, they were t- they, he called them out, and there's talk that Danielson will be healed up again in time for Forbidden Door. So, I mean, God, can you imagine that match? Imagine it. It's just beautiful. Yeah, because he, he, there was worries that he had a concussion around about double or nothing type, so hopefully he is all healed up because, you know, surely this is, you know, without him in the car, it would be a shame given that whole thing that went around with you no know, EW having a relationship with, with New Japan and WWE trying to get one with New Japan was all about, you know, Brian you know, wanting to go to the company that would let him work with New Japan, but as of yet, he's not had a chance to work with them yet. You know, there was a whole army that wanted him to be announced among the competitors for the, the G1, but it does not look like that's going to happen. I'm going to have to wait a while longer to potentially see that happen. Yeah, I think one thing that's... Uh, I've seen someone mention this, and it's actually a good point with the when we actually talk more about who's in the G1, but I think AEW's injury situation at the moment kind of limits who they can send over for such a long period of time. Yeah. Because they've got quite a few big like shows, like episodes of Dynamite coming up in the next week. I think Daniel Sen is going to be uh, a part of the Blood and Guts match at the end of June. 
uh, alongside like Eddie Kingston against the in the Jericho Appreciation Society. Uh, but then we move on to our next title match, which is the Great Okan, Oliel, and Jeff Cobb, fresh off their appearance of watching their tag finisher to beat up FTR, uh, <laughs> taking on the uh, the Rogue Jewels, as they were calling themselves, the tag team champions, Chase Owens and Bad Luck Valley. A pretty solid like 11-minute match. Chase and Valley were more dominant than you thought they'd be, but, you know, I don't know what I think the whole win here was just to say that these two had actually won IWGP goal. I mean, Valley had been up for a long time, and this was Chase's first actual title in New Japan. And given that was happening on the anniversary of Bullet Club, I think it was just a well, look, Bullet Club's got another belt, but then Bullet Club, uh, Bullet Club has lost, and the Naked Empire has gold once again in a, a night which would be a good night for the Naked Empire. That's, that was a that was a fantastic result for them, you know. Um... I, I was more than happy because I, I never wanted them to lose those belts in the first place. And all hail Great O'Can. Um, mm-hmm. We saw we saw how he how he celebrated his birthday recently when he's been out with AEW and that in Vegas, all that sort of stuff. Man is living the life of a god. I for one, mm-hmm. I'm all here for it. As am I. As am I. Yeah. It basically makes sense that they're going to be part of Vendor, which uh, it seems like they are going to be because. United Empire been making appearances on AEW for Thine and Rampage, so you want those two guys to go in with title belts uh, for Vendor, whoever they face, maybe they'll face FTR in some sort of champion v champion match. That'd be pretty cool. But then they had the intermission and the big announcement, which we'll talk about in a little bit, but then we came back and for a match that has Vendor implications, where we had the interim championship eliminator match where Tanahashi took on Goto with the winner would go on to face John Moxley at Forbidden Door. And you know, to me, it felt like it did feel like a foregone conclusion because whoever, no matter who won that battle royal, uh, it was gonna, it was always gonna be Moxley that won. Uh, the fact that they came down to Wheeler Yuta and Kyle O'Reilly and they weren't intended to have Yuta versus Moxley in the main event was was unfortunate to me. Part of me also actually wanted Eddie Kingston to win it so we could have Eddie Kingston be more played in the main, in the main event. And here we had Tanahashi be Goto and all respect to Goto, but Moxley's in this match and who's the one guy he's been calling out for like two years for the match in New Japan? Hiroshi Tanahashi. Like, you could have put God in front of Tanahashi, I still would have thought he was one. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, this... This this match, this like for the interim AW like AW interim championship sort of match at Forbidden Door. At least they gave Tanahashi a good opponent. It's like who we got that's not doing anything. Here's go, go get out of here. Got a match for you. <laughs> really? Am I going to win? Fuck no. <laughs> we just need you to just need you to put put over Japanese John Cena again. But, you know, I mean, we say, we joke about how predictable it's going to be. It was a, a solid match. It went about 12 minutes, so I didn't, like, overstate it. Welcome. They said it was, like, the first time these two had faced this thing with a match outside of the outside of the G1 or any other tournament in a long time. But, you know, it is leading to a match that we do want to see the, the Tanahashi v Moxley match. So we've been talking, they've been talking a lot about each other. We did get the four-way at, in Washington, but this is a, a straight-up one-on-one match between the two. And I'm sure it'll be talked about as a match of the year contender. Yeah, I mean that's that's it. You you put Goto in a match with Tanahashi. You put Goto in a, a match with anyone of that kind of caliber. Doesn't matter who's against Goto is going to give you a solid match. Not saying Tanahashi doesn't put on a good match as well, but 
I just feel people do not appreciate appreciate Goto enough because he's never like the main eventer and stuff like that. But the man can put on main event quality matches, and this was no difference. Mm-hmm. I, I do agree. He's a former G1 winner, which people forget. He had to have a solid you know run recently as part of that chaos trio with Ishii and Ushiashi. But he's got kind of forgotten how good of a singles guy he can be. Uh, next up, we had the KOPW match. It was something a little bit different because. Yeah, this match due to, you know, four G1 winners, you know, two guys who could easily fight for a world title. Then you had this very unique matchup where it was, for the QPW title, they originally tried to use them for a no-time limited finisher 10-count match where if they had one with an accumulative count of 10 uh, and they weren't allowed to use their main finisher title, you could only use the gear clutch to add to his total, and the guy could only win using the ground cobra. But Takagi's stipulation ended up winning uh, as a 10-minute unlimited pinfall scramble match where basically a 10-minute time limit, whoever's got the most falls wins. So basically it's a similar to their like 30-count match, but just in case of the counters going and whoever's counter of falls is higher at the end of the 10 minutes wins. And Takagi did manage to pull it out, even though, unlike their last match, he was the one on top for most of this. Yeah, I I absolutely love this match. And I think these two have got really a, a great chemistry. Their their last KOPW meeting was wonderful fun, and this this one I was like, all right, let's let's see how this stipulation is going to work, and I loved it. Just mm-hmm. knowing that there was a ten minutes, it's like right, they are just going to absolutely go for it, and they did for ten minutes. They just barred them and shouted at each other, and that's what I wanted. Just yeah, it's like meeting men, talk- slapping meat, slapping all those meat. You know, we talked about it during the pandemic, you know, like, especially in tournaments, there were matches that really did not need to go the time that they did, and they really felt like they overstood a welcome on, like, what was already long shows, but the fact that you know, it was just going to be 10 minutes, no more, no less, like, really, it made you feel like, like you had to, you know, like, pay attention to this 10 minutes, because it was going to go by very quickly and, you know, not overstay its welcome. And I love the story here, because now Taichi's the one on the back foot, he's the one that's desperate, and that finish where it's like 11-8 to Yushingo. He actually goes for the finish, it's counting down 9, 10. Buzzer expires before he can properly tie it up. And you might feel bad for him, but he's also a bit of a bastard, so you don't. <laughs> That's it. Just that little bit. And just to keep, thing, keep things going. And, you know, they kept Dominion, like, at this point, was keeping a really good solid pace as well. Good quality matches. Never overstaying its welcome. Loving it. Loving it. Uh, now, I think I said earlier that the uh, never built was the semi by Maxi thing in the US was the semi main event. I may have got those mixed up, but either way, I'll talk about the never title match right now. We had Tamatonga taking on uh, Carl Anderson, and I love Tama. No messing about, just marches straight to the ring, goes right after uh, Tama, goes right after Carl Anderson. He we t- they talked about them like handing down the, the magic killer to the girls of destiny and handing the gun stunt to Titama. And like there was that, that sequence where both of them tried constantly to get the gun stunt on each other, but neither of them could actually could actually get it. Uh, again, this one didn't overstay its welcome. Uh, Anson got involved, but it wasn't to like an like Gallows got involved, but not to like an annoying degree. Uh, really didn't know where this could go. You didn't know what to expect, but in the end, after a distraction from uh, Gals, which saw Gals get a gun stun from Tama, uh, Carl Anderson distracted the ref and then got one of his own on Tama Tonga. And 
Carl Anderson wins his first single title in their single title in New Japan, winning the never open weight title. Have you forgotten to unmute? Oh yeah, that's 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 just me forgetting to un- unmute because there's someone deciding to cut and cut their grass at this time right outside the window. <laughs> but yeah, I was totally um, surprised by the result in this. I thought Tama was kind of built up, big baby face energy. Here comes the machine gun, and yeah, this match was really fun, and I was I was quite surprised at the result, but it leaves things looking very interesting going forward for that open weight title. It does. It's now. Uh... I told him it's an anniversary, girls, and I didn't have a big match on that show. They're going to challenge the Briscoes for the tag team titles. So uh, it's going to see Anderson come out with that belt on a weekly basis on Impact Wrestling. We're quite interested to maybe get him see him defend that belt over there, maybe see him pop up on the US show with the title and see what happens. You know, some big names actually are big challenges for that belt again once now that we've finally gotten away from, from Evil, who Evil is just getting a stink all over it. That's I mean that's the main thing. It's away from evil. It can bounce around between Bullet Club and Tamatonga and that. Just don't let evil near that belt again. Not while he's doing this house of torture pish. Yeah. Uh, apparently now this makes Carl Anderson the thirty seventh person to hold the the never open weight title, which is it goes to just how much they like to flip flop this belt around. Uh, and something I didn't know about the title, but they mentioned it on the English commentary that Carl Anderson's only ever fought in a match for the never open weight title one other time. And it was in the tournament final to crown the inaugural champion where he lost to Masato Tanaka, who I mainly know from his feud of matches with uh, Mike Awesome, where basically it was like, how many times can we pair on each other and unprotected, give each other unprotected chair shots? The answer? There is no limit. The limit does not exist. It does not exist whatsoever. Uh, but then we had the what was meant to be at one point a triple threat match for the IWGB US state with Brock Hard just wrong defending against uh, Osprey and Sonada. Uh, but then just says, oh, I've got appendicitis, and he wanted to go back to the US to get it, you know, get his surgery. And then Sonata said, oh, I'll, I want the bill. And everything. Said, I want to fight for the bill. And then they claimed that that just would be there because he said he got, he got antibiotics, he can wrestle the match. At least that's what they were telling us on commentary. And they just said, like, I'm not even in the country. Like, I'm not going to be there. This is not going to be the US title. Then they did have a match for the US title, they vacated the belt, but just didn't send the belt back. So Osprey wins the title from Sonata, which, boo, Os- well, my friends aren't nonsense, Osprey, and then goes, Where's my belt? Where's my belt? Like, fuck you. <laughs> it's just bit- more more examples of Billy being screwed by New Japan. Yeah. I know. Now he's officially the champion of Britain and uh, the US. But, you know, the whole thing of, like, no matter who was going to win, it was going to look a bit silly with neither of them had an actual belt. And, you know, I don't know what the hell the situation is with this title, uh, whether or not this is a, a shoot or a cafe thing with just no one show where this is going to be, like, a storyline go forward. It would be nice to see Osprey show up at Forbidden Door with both the Red Pro belt and the US belt. It would be, like, a good visual. Uh, but, again, again, we also had to see him beat up Sonata, give him that horrible, you know, hidden blade again, like, the man just got his face fixed. Leave him alone. I know. I was like, not even just one hidden blade. Bloody two of them. What a bastard. But what was amazing as well was Sonada just looked so fucking good in that match. He might have lost, but he looked absolutely incredible. Like, 
no sign of slowdown, ring rust or anything like that from the time out of the injury and getting himself better. He just he looked he looked amazing, and I think it's a it's a good sign from going into the G one. Yeah, definitely. I hope he eventually gets that win back over Osprey and gets the US belt back because I feel like we were you know just scratching the surface what could have happened with that US belt with him as champion after years of waiting for him to get a single title and then also due to an unfortunate injury that had to be taken away. But remember, like you used to say the US belt was cursed and then the new IWGP title came in and everybody said that was cursed because of what happened to Ibushi and then Osprey got injured and all that stuff. And then it seems that the start of 2022, the US basically went, oh, you think, the, you think the new world title's cursed? Oh, my beer. I'll go on Kenta. Well, he'll then nearly get fucking injured and, and nearly kill himself in that match. And he'll go on to Tanahashi, who will then lose, lose it to Tanada. He'll then get injured. And then Tanahashi will get me. And then he'll get beat up by just Robinson. He'll then vacate me. And then I won't even go to anybody because just won't send me back. It really is the most convoluted cursed title of them all now. It's it's really you put your book on like the many ups and downs of this fucking belt. I know it's just it it, it kind of all went wrong as soon as it left Jay White's ownership and went away from him. It's like I don't know where I want to be now. I think as soon as John Moxley won it for the first time, that's when it started because then he couldn't come over because of a fucking like like typhoon or whatever it was. Then he went it back from. Archer and then the bloody pandemic, so we couldn't defend it. So poor Kenta's just wandering with a briefcase, but nobody fights. Speaking of Kenta, great to see him back. Oh, yeah, they even mentioned that. Uh, he got brought out to be in the corner of Bullet Club in a multi man tag match. And uh, I'd almost forgotten he was gone. No, I missed him, but I almost forgot because I'd been focused on the junior division. And then when he when he when Jay White said, I've got one more surprise today, he clicked to me and told the music, I'm like, oh, Kenta's back, yes. Get in. It's like, yay, he's back. Thank fuck, he's alive. Because please never do that with a ladder again, Kenta. For the love of all that's holy, <laughs> never again. Never again. We'd like to see you in one piece, please. Thank you very much. Uh, but then we have our main event of the evening, and he's fifth defence, the IWGP World Heavyweight Champion, uh, Kazuchika Okada, taking on Jay White. Uh, 36 minutes has been a classic, you know, main event, you know, giving it a good line. Jay White was dominant a lot in this match. Uh, okay, I was fighting for the back, but eventually, you know, he was starting to get his comeback. He was doing that dive over the over the barricade on a Jan Gado. Uh, there was many back and forth, you know, trying to get the Blade Runner, the Tombstone, you know, the Rainmaker, and the whole with both down the ground. But Okada, you know, keeps the risk control. And then even the, there was a point where Okada manages, even though Jay's fighting it, Okada hits the landslide, and that seems to me like. For me, that seems to be the new like setup for the Rainmaker. So at that point, I was like, "Oh no, this is this is where it happens." Okada gets yet another win. You know, the commentators were even saying, "Are we in the midst of another long like reign, much like his seven hundred odd day reign a few years ago?" I'm like, please no, I don't want to go through that again. Because so many people who should have won the belt didn't win the belt. But then after, as Jay White said, one Blade Runner can end it. Uh, after thirty six minutes, uh, after counter reversal, after another reversal, after another reversal. Jay White manages to hit the Blade Runner. One, two, three. Jay White has now been IWGP champion, Intercontinental champion, US champion, never champion, and now IWGP world heavyweight champion. He truly is the Grand Slam winner in New Japan. Oh yeah, I was like, I, I was, I was shouting with joy. Like my parents were like, "What the fucking hell is that noise?" It's just me absolutely losing my shit that Jay White comes back. After so long away from Japan, 
goes straight into the main event for the World Heavyweight Championship and boom, beats the Rainmaker. 4-1 and one is his record against Okada now. And I mean, I don't get me wrong, something about Okada, this reign, it's been very fresh. Somebody like bringing in new moves, like as you say, like the landslide set up for the Rainmaker. Fucking landslide's a great setup for the Rainmaker because it's a little uh-huh. bit more believable than the constant jumping tombstone that. So I was like, but as soon as he hit that, I was like, no, 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 no. Then he, why you hit the Blade Runner? Yeah! I could see the landslide's a lot more believable because, like, even though, like, yes, a clothesline could be a devastating like, finisher depending on who's doing it, but, like, when a cat does a jumping tombstone and then does a clothesline, he always looks like he's just giving you what little effort he has left. And just like, uh, next to with the clothesline. Why aren't you using the move where you jump in midair and drop someone on their head as you're spinning around? Why is that not your finisher? Rather than this just weird clothesline that you're doing. Exactly. Uh, like, to me, I would do the Rainmaker into the jumping tombstone. That would make sense for a finisher. He's got back the front. Like you say, you could hold them in the wrist, pull them back up, and then flip them over out of the tombstone. You know, logistics, okay, you've not thought about it. <laughs> but then even though, like, technically they were stripped of the US belt and lost the tag belt earlier on, they still looked like a dominant group with Jay holding the main belt. You know, you had uh, Anderson with the never title, you had Ishimori for now, still a junior champion, and you had Ace Austin in the background with his X-Division belt. You know, much like Don Taku, it did feel like Bullet Club ends the show on top, Jay White gets to be at Forbidden Door as the IWGP World Heavyweight Champion. And then he just goes on this rant on, you know, both in the ring and behind the scenes, you know, how he his comments, uh, talking about how he is basically the catalyst. He's, he's to thank for everything, you know. Without me, there would be no AEW. I beat Kenny. He went fucking running to go make AEW with his pals. And then he talked about Hangman, who originally called out uh, Okada for the title. And... Like to fight at Forbidden Door when he thought Okada was going to be the champion. He's like, hang hey, man, you want to fight Okada? You can fucking have him. He's not getting this. I also loved it. And I, like, I love the fact that between Jay White's, Jay White's in-ring promo and then his post-match comments in the backstage, you could make a drinking game out of how many times Jay White said fuck during those promos and get yourself a mild buzz on. <laughs> yeah. I love how he was, like, he was so passionate he was getting words wrong and then went and just like, fuck it, because like, Oh, you get these guys, this guy, and they, and they, and they like the, you call them the undeniable and say, like, no, undeniable, and it's a never doing it, but he both, he's undeniable and a never because he's a fucking superstar, look at him. And he's awesome guy, just nodding his head, like, yes, yes, I am. <laughs> and, even the way that he, like, even the way that he congratulated Adam Cole and the own heart belt, I was like, oh, that is so condescending. I love it. But people were wondering if, like, oh, God, uh, Cole and Hangman are all going to be involved in. And something for the belt, but I'd actually much rather if they tried to do like Highman BJ for the the title and do like a special singles Cole versus Okada. It's definitely there's definitely appeal. I, I, I've he- I've even heard talk of there be uh, talk of the IWGP being a triple threat, and I'm like, when's the last time I had a triple threat for the IWGP? Oh yeah, Omega, Cody, and Ibushi. Hmm. Yeah, no. You know, right, for Forbidden Door, they considered doing it. Did they want to do it for everybody Wrestle Kingdom 16 with Okada, Osprey, and Shingo? No, they did not. And we talked a lot about that. Like, why are you not doing a triple threat match? Exactly. We were robbed that time. I know. Fucking Don't rob us again. Have, we'd have one less day of bloody Wrestle Kingdom that year, this year as well, if we had that. <laughs> but yeah, Jay White's on top. He's going into Forbidden Door. And it's weird to be this close to Forbidden Door. Like a time recorder on this, like midweek, some announcements could come out by then. But it does feel like more of the 
like there's not enough of the cars there should be at this stage announced because the only thing really that's confirmed is the match between uh, Tanahashi and, and Moxley for the for the world title. There's going to also be that four. We don't know all the participants in that yet, but you'd think there'd be more big matches announced. I mean, we've got teases of what there could be, but no real confirmations. That's it. There's this is the it's the kind of the the fun of it, but also where I, I'm like. Right, I, I need solid announcements now. I know that like tonight, at the time of recording, tonight on Dynamite, we're going to get a face-to-face between Tanahashi and Moxley. That's going to drum up some interest. Um, we have Osprey against Dax Harwood as well. Mm-hmm. So after, the getting... weird, after him and Ozzy Open randomly lost to FTR and Trent on Rampage. Still don't get that to me. Trent should have taken that pin. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh and you look at the match, we're also going to get a crossover kind of match with a new belt, the All-Atlantic title being defended in a four-way, where tonight at time recording we've got uh, Miro versus Ethan Page, on your cell Miro, come on, uh, Pax already qualified defeating Bunny Matthews, there's going to be another match at Pitts Penta versus Malachi Black at some point in the next week or so, and then uh, the June 20th show, there's going to be two matches, but the winner's going on to a match. The following night, they determine who the New Japan representative will be, in that match, the two qualifiers are uh, Kanemaru v Ishii and Honma versus Clark Connors. Hmm, I wonder who out of those four it's going to be. Honma Mania running wild, brother. I thought he was Ishii final, which that'd be cool because as much as he's going to get battered and right now to drop things, he said, I'd like to see Clark Connors give his, give his best effort against Ishii. Uh, definitely, I think like looking at what I see being the potential four way for that All Atlantic belt, and my prediction being that it's going to be more of a go pack already. Um, I see Miro going through Malachi Black, Ishii. I can see Malachi Black winning it because to me the house always wins. But that four way, that is just absolutely beefy. I think it's probably going to be Miro. He's my pick. And I like the idea of packing. Um, I think Malachi's going to as well. I mean, back and Malachi take each other because they've still got that feud. Then we're just left with Ishii and Mio to slap all the meat they want to in Chicago. <laughs> Make it happen. <laughs> Make it happen, absolutely. I'm assuming there's going to be some big multi man, like five guys or six guys, to take on Osprey and whoever, however, however many members of the United Empire you can cram onto the plane uh, to come over to Chicago. And some sort of big match, so I look forward to seeing that. Maybe, hopefully, Danielson and uh, ZHA will confirm something. I want Eddie Kingston to get a prominent spot on this card as well. You know, he loves, you know, he's Japanese, he wrestles, so get him on the card as well. But that's still to come, Forbidden Door. We've probably talked about it already on Central when you've heard this. Uh, in a couple of weeks' time, we are going to talk about Forbidden Door more so on the New Japan ramifications of it when we know what's happened at that show. And a couple of weeks are going to come back because by the time we come back in two weeks, they'll already, they've already announced the participants for the G1 Climax. But by the time we come back, they'll announce who's in what block and what the matches are. And then we can do more of a preview because we can't do as much of a preview because we don't know who's going to face who at what time for the G1. But we are going to get the G1 participants up right now. Uh, we can we can confirm that it's going to be 28 guys, not 20 across two blocks. It's going to be 28 men in four blocks, seven. And Grant, you were saying that very interesting about the last time this happened. Yeah, the last time that we had the, the four blocks set up, the IWGP champion won the G1 
Uh, I'm trying to remember. I can't remember who it was. It's a, it's a, fa- a fact that I read thanks to the Super Jcast sharing it. And I think that's absolutely interesting. And the field is, well, I'll, I'll let you run through the, the field, Scott. It's, it's pretty, we'll go into it in more depth in the future show, but I, I, I think it's pretty stacked in my opinion. It is very tough. There's no shortage of talent here, both international and homegrown uh, talent here. Uh, yeah, the year 2000, the last thing that happened, I believe this has been happening, it's extended, much the same reason that the, the New Japan Cup was extended because of the 50th anniversary. But we've got your usual suspects. You've got Okada, Tanahashi, Naito, Hiroki Goto, Tamatonga, Shingo Takagi. Uh, you got some lower card people that you don't really want to see in it, like uh, Chase Owens, Bad Luck Valley, yeah. YouTube, Evil, just Robinson, if he can, you know, if he's fit enough to go. Uh, Yoshihashi, Toriyano, Tomohiro Ishii, Jeff Cobb, Great Okan, Will Ospreay, Aaron Hanare, Sanada, Jay White, Kenta, uh, Taichi, ZFJ, and then some uh, debut entries, some surprise here, David Finlay is going to make his debut in the tournament, hopefully he's in the same block as Just Robinson. Uh, El Fantasma is getting his wish, he's going to be in the, the G1 Climax. He, they're also going to be some people from who've been appearing on New Japan Strong. You've got Jonah, who's going to make his debut. He's going to be the kind of monster that the New Japan audience is going to love to see. Filthy Tom Lawler is also going to make his debut, the current strong openweight champion. But the one that the crowd did make some noise, even though they're not meant to, I think the one that got the biggest reaction out of everybody was announced for the AEW Zone. Lance Archer is going to be in this tournament. I I am buzzing for that the Murderhawk monster coming back to to New Japan um, and you know when we do the more in depth show I'll kind of, I like going over like how many entries people have had like their their records and that because there's there's so many potential juicy matchups in this and El Phantasma the one thing I will quickly mention like Osprey in the same year he'll have been in New Japan Cup Best of Super Juniors and the G1 it's pretty big. It's pretty big, you know. They did say, oh, he's going to be one of the smallest competitor, not one of the biggest, like he was in Super Juice. So, which is see how he gets on in that tournament. Is this a full on like move up for him potentially? Because they said that already they've got a fair bit of uh, junior heavyweight representation in Bill Club. You've got him, Ishimori, Ace Austin, and Chris Bay. That's it. It's a pretty stacked um, junior side in the Bullet Club. So, if it's a permanent move up, I'm very interested to see what he can do. Um, you know, Put El Fantasmo against the Windy Man. I want to see him versus ZSG. Give me the mm. shithousery. Absolutely, but you know we can't talk about it any further until the blocks are confirmed. And you know I have some potential matchups in my head, and hopefully when the block format is announced, we I get some of the matches that I'm hoping for in my head. But until then, that's been a a long enough show. I think for some people of East Speaks West. Thank you once again, Grant, for joining me here. To talk about the Super Juniors, which is a lot of fun, and before you know it, we'll have another bloody tournament on our hands. You know, thankfully, you know this is the one thing that New Japan doesn't even have that many as many tournaments because AEW is racking one out every other bloody week. I know, and I'm actually like I think we've mentioned this before, but I'm grateful they've went back to the old a bit, so I I'm no longer afraid of the end of year mashup of let's have every tournament in three months. Yeah, no. Yeah, we'll get a bit of a break between G1 and World Tag League, and that will hopefully be two blocks as well. So let's see if they, they pull out all the stops for that term in terms of opening the borders. But uh, make sure you check out past episodes of East Meets West, and you stay tuned for our next episode in a couple weeks' time about Forbidden Door and the G1 Climax uh, on all good Android podcasts and feeds. 
Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, where you choose to get your podcasts. Uh, you can find other shows, like I mentioned, East Star Central, where we talk about all the big stories of the week in wrestling, all the big uh, breaking news, uh, weekly wrestling, what's going on there, if there's any pay-per-views. Me and Russell have been on that street show talking about Corey's injury, uh, Punk when the title and his injury as well. Quite a lot of injuries to discuss, and we'll probably be looking ahead to the Sunday's Impact Wrestling Slammiversary. Also, our really feature shows, our most recent one was about John Cena. At least it was the first half of his career we covered because there's so much to cover there. And your features come out every single Tuesday. And of course, there's Saturday Draft Live every Saturday on this feed. Also, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at SuperFG. Join our Facebook community page to get involved in the conversation. Sometimes we ask a question and it gets read out on Central. But that is all. And until we're back again to talk about even more madness in the world of New Japan, uh, me, Robbie, thank you once again for joining me. It's been an absolute pleasure and a nice little whirlwind episode to keep us tied over till the big stuff comes. Absolutely. Bye-bye, everyone. There now follows an enthusiastic advertisement for Quiz Showdown. Hello, guys. Welcome to Quiz Showdown. I'm Daniel Campbell, and in the show, you're going to see the members of the Eat Sleep Suplex retweet team go through a very strange quiz. We don't know what the heck's going on with it, but you're going to have to watch to find out. Go check out on the YouTube channel now. That was an enthusiastic advert for Quiz Showdown. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.